morning. My name is Rob Mickelson. I'm the small groups coach here at Epiphany. I've, I've only spoke up here one other time, and that was when I co-spoke with Maddie, both him and I up here, which was kind of like having training wheels. And now is that special time when you send your kid off on a bike without training wheels and enjoy their success until they fall on their face. And I'm glad you get to be here to see that. Um, I am a big Christmas guy, big Christmas fan. I always have been. I'm one of those guys that puts up my lights in late October and then celebrates until the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, I've always loved it. Growing up, I grew up in the church, and we grew up uh, going to four or five Christmas programs every year. And I have one memory that sticks out, one of my favorite Christmas program memories. It was at a church program when I was probably 12 years old, and uh, it was a normal program with kids singing and then a choir, and this, this older lady got up, and she said, I will now re, uh, quote from memory Luke 2, the Christmas story. And so I put my head in my hands, and I'm kind of dazed, and she goes into it, and in those days there was a decree sent out, and, and then um, after a couple verses, there's kind of a pause, and I look up, and she has this look of terror on her face, like she's lost. And then she skips a verse, and then I tear open my Bible, and I go to Luke 2, I want to see how bad she does. And she forgets where the shepherds are from. And then at one point she pulls out her note card and she's pretty shaky. And it was awesome. It was so satisfying to see someone, uh, like as a kid, I had to memorize lines and go up and fail in front of adults. And so just to see the tables turned, it was great. And when somebody has a little bit of arrogance or pride, it's, um, it can be satisfying to see them get humbled. And humility at Christmas is what today's message is about. It's about uh, part of our series, Making Christmas Count, where we look at the original Christmas story and see how we can make it count for our lives today. So let's start by looking at Luke 2, and I do not have it memorized, but uh, Luke 2 starts off with Mary and Joseph have to go to Bethlehem because there's a government census being taken. Just like in the States, we have a government census uh, next year. Back then, they all had to go to their hometown. So... Joseph and his fiancée Mary are going to Bethlehem. Mary's pregnant with God's kid, Jesus. <coughs> Bethlehem is really uh, popping right now because everybody's going home. It's like everybody is there. The hotels are booked. Everybody's having a good time seeing their old friends. And uh, they can't get a room, so they end up having to go to a stable and have baby Jesus in a stable. So then, let's start reading Luke 2, verse 8. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. So let's look at the shepherds. Shepherds back in that time were known as being extra poor. They were uncultured, uneducated. They were uncouth. They were not cool. It was not a very desirable profession. Their testimony actually wouldn't even hold up in court. They were looked at at kind of a similar level as prostitutes almost. All of society viewed them as untrustworthy, social outcasts, and they would raise these sheep. And religious leaders um, and the whole Jewish religious system of the time uh, 
kind of looked down on them as well because their daily duties of being a shepherd disqualified them from participating in the old Jewish customs of sacrifice and temple offerings. And so uh, the religious leaders viewed them as outsiders to the church. So they were always on the outside looking in. And ironically, since they were so close to Jerusalem, Bethlehem and Jerusalem were only six miles apart, uh, the sheep that they were shepherding were most likely purchased and taken to the temple as sacrifices. So they're raising these sheep to be sacrifices in this religious system, and even though they're Jewish, they're not allowed to participate in it. And talk about getting a warped view of church and a warped view of God. And these are the people God sends a personal messenger to, to tell them about how he's coming to earth. So let's carry on. Verse 12. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So if you're the shepherds, you're excited to go see what's going on here. You get this personal invitation, and I suppose they probably would have thought a lot of people got personal invitations because they were kind of lowly people. Why would they be the only ones? So they decided, yeah, let's, let's, go, uh, let's go see what this thing is about. And um, the way it's narrowed down for them, they're given one clue about how to find this baby. They go to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's buzzing. More people than normal live there. The hotels are booked, but they don't have to go looking in the hotels because the angels said, you need to go find the barn baby. The poor little uh, baby that's born and laying in a manger. So they go there, and how cool is it that God chose to come to earth as a baby? If I were God, hypothetically, and I had a planet with uh, creatures that I had created and they were going about life, and then they started kind of making wrong choices and missing the point of things, and I was going to come down and talk to them, I would come down like a lightning bolt with a big sonic boom, and I would be big, and I would be strong, and I'd be ripped, and I'd be shirtless, <laughs> hovering over the masses saying, citizens, I've come to save you. But instead, God decides to use the miracle of birth. He decides to enter Mary uh, through conception, this miracle, and then uh, grows as a fetus, and he trusts that Mary is going to eat non-GMO foods so that Jesus doesn't get autistic or something. I don't know how that... That just Jesus will be a healthy, strong baby, totally dependent on other people to take care of him. Babies are helpless. Babies can't survive on their own until, I don't know, five, six, seven, we haven't figured it out yet. Uh, 38, somebody said last service. Um, so the fact that God is depending on humans to take care of his, of his child is really something. Talk about the humility there. Well, uh, and then it's not just any baby. He comes as a poor baby. A poor baby whose parents aren't married, which was a huge deal back then. A poor baby who wasn't from a city of any reputation, who throughout his whole life would have the religious leaders uh, thinking he was wrong for who he hung out with 
his whole life uh, not having any sort of a, a, a reputation. So that, I think, if you're an unbeliever, if you, if you kind of follow um, the way of Christmas and you see the stories, but to you it's, it's kind of like there's Jesus' story, there's Santa Claus' story, there's the gift of family story, there's all these different things about what Christmas could be about. So what makes this story separate and special? And I think the humility of God displayed here gives it a lot of credibility. I don't know that a human could have invented this kind of story. I think most humans, when we create a God, it's big, it's strong, it's sometimes scary, it lashes out, it has strong requirements of us. It certainly isn't some little baby that depends on us to take care of it. So I think that whole kind of upside-down humility uh, that Jesus showed at birth gives Christmas some credibility that is, is really worth thinking about. <clears throat> so as time uh, goes on, Jesus goes on to live, die on the cross, raise again, have followers, go back to heaven. And Paul, the, the, Paul is starting early churches. And these churches are... Um, trying to get going on following Jesus and what does life look like when you follow Jesus. And Paul, in Philippians 2, Paul is reminding them about the importance of Christmas and what Jesus did at Christmas and how that affects our life. So just to give you a little break from my low, monotonous voice, here's a little video you can follow along with with Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Isn't that awesome? I love that uh, narrator guy. He reads it in um, this way where it's portraying that Paul had this deep love for his people, that he's like lovingly nurturing them towards humility. And when I read it, I read it like a fifth grade teacher upset with whiny little kids. Uh, if you look at the highlight points, um, here's a little uh, different take on how I read it. You guys, could you just agree with one another once in a while? Could you love one another? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Think of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests. Take an interest in other people. 
It's these very basic steps that he's trying to get the church to come to. And the reason is because Jesus had all the power of heaven, all the power of God, and he chose not to cling to it. So with us in our lives, in Thief River Falls, in this area, at work and at school, whatever power, whatever um, upstandingness we have, whatever reputation we have, we're not to cling to that. Be it possessions, being how people look at you. Wherever you're at, Jesus was able to let go of everything and become a poor baby, dependent. And we're supposed to have that same attitude as Jesus so the Christmas story is about two groups of people. There are shepherds, and then, anybody remember the other group? Wise men. Thank you. Yes. Now, wise men uh, in the story, uh, in the Christmas story, were kind of the polar opposite of the shepherds. So let's take a look at Matthew 2. Matthew 2, verse 1 and 2. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we've come to worship him. So the magi, the wise men, they were rich, well off, because they were advisors to kings. They were very high up. Uh, They had good reputation, largely because of their role in this advisory role to powerful people. They were considered smart They studied the stars, which was, astronomy was the science of the day, and that was a large part of their advisory capacity, because the stars had all these meanings to them. And as they're studying the stars, a uh, a certain star shows up, a new star, a new something. And there's different theories on how that all worked out, but it told them that a new king of the Jews was being born. And so what did they do? They acted. And I think, you know, sometimes we look at the shepherds and it's like, if God could just come with an angel and tell me what to do, that would be awesome. But not everybody gets an angel. Sometimes what we get is a sign in our everyday life. This language of the stars that the wise men spoke, God spoke to them through that. It was there so that they could see it. And then they had to have the humility to risk everything to follow it. They risked their reputation. They risked their money. They risked their standing as smart people. What if the whole thing was, was wrong? What if it was just a star, a shooting star or something, a weird planet? You know, who, who knows? And they risked all that because they had this weight. They had this feeling. This star meant something, and they were going to chase it. So let's uh, continue on. Matthew 2, verse 9. After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So all of this was done to get to the place where the child was. A new king was born. They knew it was going to be a child. But they get there, and they show up ready to honor a king, a real king. So even though it might have been a poor baby in poor circumstances, they come with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They didn't take it lightly. They didn't come with a little stuffed animal. 
They came with a gift ready to honor a new kingship, just the way they would another king in a territory. And all this came because God spoke to them through a star in the language that they, that they were already studying. So now what? Today, how do each of you and how do I follow God in humility? What language do we do? Do we just study the stars? Do we wait for an angel? How do we do it? Well, there's two challenges I have for you. And uh, the first challenge is humbly serve one another. To do this, we have at Epiphany here, we have the My Christmas Epiphany Challenge going on. Every year at Epiphany, we do a, a, a large-scale challenge for the whole church to do something that dramatically impacts the community. Sometimes it's been uh, giving water to people that need it, paying off people's heating bills, planting a church, and it's always been kind of a, f a financial thing where we do something big in December with all the people that call Epiphany home. Well, this year it's different. This year, instead of finances, we're asking everyone that calls Epiphany home to invite someone into their home for a meal that they've never had over before. So if you're single, a couple, a family, invite another single couple or family over to your house for a meal. Host them. Love them. Take an interest in their lives. Do these things that Paul talked about. And doing that, if we all do it, the whole community will experience a unique invitation this Christmas. And it might lead to a friendship or a big fight. I don't know. But it's, it's a good idea. Uh, we invited ours, and we're going to try to do it over Christmas break so the kids can all play. And um, it's exciting and a little nerve-wracking because I haven't talked to the guys since, like, seventh grade. So we'll see how that goes. Um, the next, next step is the harder one, I think, and that is to humbly obey God. God is reaching out to each one of you individually right now. The God who created everything has a spe special thing, a special task, a special area of growth he wants for each one of you individually. A few months ago, he kind of laid something on my heart that surprised me, and that was that I was supposed to stop drinking alcohol. And I was a little taken back. I, I grew up in a, like I said, a Christian home where there was no drinking in the house or anything. And I... Um, didn't drink till I was 21, but then I kind of had this point of pride where I was going to prove, no, conservative Christians can drink once in a while, and it's all fine and good, and now I'm 37, and God tells me, you need to take a break, you need to stop, and I don't know if it'll be forever or, or whatever it'll be, but you need to stop, and that was humbling, and at first I didn't do it. I thought, no, I'm, I'm fine, and that was one of those things that was a little off limits, and I didn't even really realize it at the time. That was off limits as far as God convicting me of because it had become a point of pride. But once I did obey, once I quit and started telling people I'm done, I realized it leads to, it has led to um, some different godly discussions with people I never would have had and it's led to a much more vibrant prayer life because I'm able to come to the Lord knowing something that I was once proud about, I've humbly been able to lay down thanks to the Lord. Now, this isn't a lesson about drinking. This, you'd be missing the point. I'm not saying when God convicts us, just because it's a conviction for me doesn't mean it's necessarily a sin for other people. The, the point of this is not about that specific thing. But the point is, each one of you has a personal thing that God wants to alter in your life. It might be something to add. It might be something to take away. 
And I can't answer that for you. But I can tell you, if there's something that's off limits to God, that is pride. So maybe for some of you, you have uh, something like drinking or drugs or overeating or I don't know what it is, um, something you're a slave to. Maybe for some of you, it's an unhealthy relationship that's not pure. And you can't imagine your life without the person. And you're both Christians, so it's off limits to God because it's fine. And maybe God is, is kind of pulling you, giving you a weight to that. And if that's the case, uh, as we call up the, the praise and worship team and the prayer team, if that's the case, right now today, please share that with someone. Come share with the prayer team. Get prayed for. Hear yourself say out loud what God is telling you. It makes it real, and it takes humility to do that. Some of you might just have a hobby that's overtaking your life, or your, God's just saying, spend more time with me. Spend more time with my family, with your family. Um, Maybe it's uh, pornography, and all God's telling you to do is tell someone, drag it into the light, shine light on it so that you can be pure, and that will take humility. Anytime we're going to act on what God is calling us in our personal lives, it takes humility. So as I pray, uh, please be open. Open your hearts, open your minds, and be open to what God might be trying to to chisel away at you. And if there is anything, please share that with someone today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for Christmas. Thank you for coming the way you did to earth. Thank you for showing us how to live humbly, how to let go of power, how to let go of reputation, and how to let go of money in search of real life. Please, Lord, give each person in this room and watching at home the courage to act on what you are showing them, the courage to act humbly, the courage to follow you in this journey. I pray in Jesus' name.